Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents the Honorable Judge Dan Jacobs. Hey, where did we go? Days when the rains came. Down in the hollow. Playing a new game. Laughing and running. Hey, hey. Skipping and jumping. It's a feel-good song. Good job, Dante. It's a nice song. Makes you feel good. So let's listen to Matt Smith and Chad Andrews filling in for Kyle Reese today. This morning on my way in, as I do every Sunday morning on my way into to work here at the station. And they're talking about Jerry Judy. And it was interesting. And I, I do this a lot with Chad, but Matt's and they just they just had an honest disagreement about Jerry Judy, and I don't remember exactly what Matt Smith, Matt Smith said, but um, Chad said what what because he I, I think the context of the conversation was you know their best playmaker um, you know it was Tim uh, their two best playmakers are coming off serious knee injuries that's Javante Williams and Tim Patrick, and Matt I don't want to misrepresent what Matt said, but he was basically like. What about Jerry Judy? And Chad's like, you think they're keeping up? I don't think defensive coordinators are staying up at night worrying about Jerry Judy. And Matt Smith was like, I absolutely think they are. And Chad's like, I, I don't think they are. And then comes what we hear all too often about Jerry Judy. And I've heard this, and we, I heard it this week, hosting with DMAC on the drive, which was... The last six weeks of the season, he was one of the best wide receivers in the league. And it gets repeated so often that people just accept it as fact. And I want to give a credit, and this happens a lot. I, give a, I get, want to give a credit to one of the texters that texted into the drive. He said, you know, I really hate to hear that. People say it all the time, and it's simply not true. And what the texter said at the time, and I hadn't fact-checked it, he says was he had a couple hundred-yard games, and he scored in one game. He wasn't one of the best wide receivers in the league the last six games of the year. So I said, well, let me go check. Now, this is a little hard thing to completely check, right? Because I'm sure there are stat services or whatever. Maybe if I had pro football subscription or whatever, PFF subscription, there's a way to just sort data to check. So I just kind of did it the hard way. But um, I went and looked. So these are Jerry Judy's last six games. And, and by the way, the texter, he is absolutely correct. He had 200-plus yard games, and he scored in one game. Now, he had three touchdowns in that game. That game, which was a loss, and that was the game where he threw the tantrum and one of his teammates actually pushed him, shoved him off the field. And then he blew up in the second half in the loss. Right? So, he had 154 yards in, you know, kind of the last, you know, meaningless game against the Chargers. The, they, you know, Rosberg's last hurrah. Um, he had five catches for 154 yards. Great performance. No scores. Week before that against the Chiefs, he had 38 yards. For 
zero touchdowns. Now, the week before that, in a, an embarrassing, that got, I mean, he literally, that literally cost Hackett his job. It was a 51-14 to 14 loss to the Rams on Christmas Day. He had six catches for 117 yards and zero touchdowns. So that was his other um, 100-yard receiving game. You know, yes, it was a lot of yards. I, again, I don't. You know, that wasn't Justin Jefferson against the Colts. It, it, nowhere around the league was anybody saying, wow, that Jerry Judy against the Rams is one of the best wide receivers in the league today. I mean, there were hollow yards and a blowout loss, like a embarrassing, one of the most embarrassing losses in team history loss. I mean, it, it, okay, I mean, if you're really hanging your hat on Jerry Judy has arrived because of that, then you're welcome to it. The week before that, he had 76 yards on seven catches. That's 10-yard average. No touchdowns. The week before that was what we mentioned. The one game where he scored, he did have the three touchdowns. Not diminishing that. That was where he threw his tantrum. He had 73 yards. He averaged less than 10 yards a catch. And, you know, the week before that, he had 65 yards. Week before that, he had zero yards. Week before that, he had 63 yards. You know, I mean, like, like, so th- there's this kind of silly notion that he was this dominant top of the league wide receiver. Now, I did go and look the best I could at other top receivers, and it, it's hard to do apples for apples, but if you looked at the best wide receivers in the league, they're going to... On average, they had of their last six games. Now, and again, that's hard to do, right? Because the best ones are on good teams, and their last game of the year didn't necessarily matter. But just depending on who it was, I mean, it was about half their games they would get 100 yards, and about half their games they would score. So I don't think it's accurate to come on here and and, and just – run whole cloth with this notion that Jerry Judy has arrived and it was all, and it's always, always his excuses with Jerry Judy, right? Now I give him credit so far. It appears that the drops are not his primary issue right now. Cool. But it's always, Oh, well, who's been throwing him the ball? Cause first it was, well, it was Drew Locke and then now it's Teddy Bridgewater. No, now it's only Russell Wilson, right? Like it's always an excuse. It's, it's Pat Shermer's fault. It's, it's the quarterback's fault. It's Coach Hackett's fault. But now this is going to be the year for Jerry Judy. And so that's what's fascinating is we had this topic on the drive where d and I believe the same thing, that the, the team's probably three to four wins better because of Sean Payton and just systematically they're going to be better. They're going to – they're not – they're going to make some improvements, but it's not a one-year process. And the roster is substantially the same. They, they, they haven't, especially offensively, they haven't made dramatic improvements. And then Nate Jackson comes on and says the same thing, has the exact same thoughts I have. Because it makes sense. We're not going to just have somebody come in and wave their magic wand and make Jerry Judy something he's never been. Now, can Jerry Judy 
be better? Can Cortland Sutton, like that was a, the, you know, like DMAC and I were describing the same, like DMAC will come in and say, Cortland Sutton's going to be fantastic because Sean Payton, so is Tim Patrick, so is KJ Hamler, so is Jerry Judy. Yet they're only going to win eight or nine games. And I'm going to, and then on my take on this situation is Jerry Judy's never been, he's never reached expectations, but I think he'll be somewhat better. Cortland Sutton, even if he gets back to what he once was, which is unlikely, he's in decline. But even at his best, he was a borderline top 20 receiver. Borderline. KJ Hamler is a never has been. He's not a has been, he's a never has been. And I mean that respectfully, just as a production for production, he has never produced. I'm not talking about him personally. I'm talking about him as a player. He has never been, hence the term, a never has been a productive player. And Tim Patrick, similarly, has been the best player on the Broncos. I've always been a champion of Tim Patrick, but he's never been an elite top 10 type wide receiver. He's been the best the Broncos have had during those stretches, but he's never been an elite receiver. So the notion that we're going to believe that Sean Payton's going to come in here and sprinkle magic Sean Payton, you know, fairy dust over everybody and make them something they've never had simply because he's Sean Payton is unrealistic. Or that Mike McGlinchey, who was one of the worst pass-blocking right tackles in the league last year, is going to come in and all of a sudden, because he's playing for Sean Payton, just going to magically be a top tackle, pass-blocking pass tackle, why? I don't know, but I'm trying to be more realistic about it. That's what Nate Jackson was saying. But offensively, they're very similar to being the same. They have not added dynamic talent. In fact, the only thing they're adding back in, and this is before injuries, mind you. They've already got one who's like Baron Browning. We're talking about maybe midseason. That's, that's hard. That, that, that's a difficult injury already, and there will be more. And we don't know. Everybody just wants to take whole cloth. All right, Javante Adams looks or uh, Javante Williams looks great. I hope he does. Same with Tim Patrick, but you don't know. We thought Corlin Sutton would be fine, and he's never been right again. And there will be more injuries. There just always is. It's football. So realistically, it's eight or nine wins. And we, but here we go again. We hear, even though Dmax his mouth is saying one thing, but at least his win total isn't saying the other. You know, Derek and James, their win total is like saying seven to eight more wins. But their mouths are saying the same thing. Like, the roster is so much better when it's not. Dan, I got a weird hypothetical for you. Yes. Well, let's say tomorrow, news comes out, breaking news, Russell Wilson torn ACL. What would you put the win total at? Not uh, It really wouldn't change it that much. That's what I was more curious about. Right. Like, Jared Stidham, I still think they're seven, eight win football team because... It's, it's, that's what Sean, Sean Payton is here to stabilize and correct things this year. I don't think Russell Wilson is going to make this big leap back into Hall of Fame mode. Right? The, the hope for Russell Wilson is because if you believe what Pete Carroll was saying, you know, the last few years they had been doing in Seattle was we had been masking his deficiencies. Well, Sean Payton perhaps can do that too. So maybe two years from now, they're talking 11 wins. Maybe it'll be interesting to see.
just how bad it is with Russell Wilson under competent coaching. But no, Russell, it's, it's, do you think it's, I, I'll ask you, Dante, you think it's that much different? I think if Stidham starts this whole year, I'd give him like, I think that it's worth like maybe one or two wins. I would go from like seven wins to nine wins. Okay. Just Stidham to Russ. I, I mean, I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah. yeah. I'd go like six to seven, eight to nine, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they had five wins last year. And what we've seen is, heck, even Vic Fangio or Vance Joseph, I mean, they're in that five to bad coaching with bad quarterback play. Is five to seven wins. Like, I guarantee you, if you ask Vic Fangio right now, he said it at his last press conference. If I had a quarterback, look, I won seven wins without a quarterback. That's essentially what he said. I'm sure Vic Fangio believes right now if he had had Aaron Rodgers, he'd won a Super Bowl. You don't You don't think he believes that? No, I'm sure he believes that. But right. I just think that's a funny well, premise. Well, I mean, why? I mean, he won seven wins. With a, without with, with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, I think that's you know um, Nate talks about it, just the over you know overvaluation of quarterbacks. It's not like obviously you can't have like anybody back there, but if you get a you know middle of the road quarterback, it's only versus like a obviously like Patrick Mahomes different story, but like let's say the difference between you know Kirk Cousins and Jared Stidham's probably you know three four wins. Well, it's Kirk Cousins, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, though. I'm but saying- I mean, well, that's what I was saying with DMac, and we'll have to continue this conversation later. But with DMac and these guys that are, and Matt Smith that are watching this, that are getting their minds blown by this documentary, and what I told DMac was, I says, DMac, what you will hopefully gather an appreciation for is not what they're doing, because they all do that, but actually the plays they make, like the Aaron Rodgers. The, the Herberts, the Mahomes, the plays that they are making that have nothing to do with the Brainiac stuff. It's the raw talent that they're throwing those little plays down the field in, in space that are just the sick um, split-second impossible throws. You, hopefully they'll now have an appreciation for that, not the, the stuff that they're doing during the week because, yeah, everybody's doing that, and it's like Nate said, I can't believe these guys didn't – Media types didn't know that already. Like, duh. Like, anybody that covered Peyton Manning that didn't realize that this was happening, that they're now just being like, oh, wow, this Netflix is really opening my eyes that quarterbacks work hard. Duh. Like, this has been going on for for at least five years now. All right, let's um, let's take uh, we'll take a quick time out. And on the other side, the aforementioned. Blowing up all over the social media with his uh, million, million views on Twitter for his uh, video from the uh, Taylor Swift concert. Our own Scrappy Will Peterson coming up. Taking a break from laying down the law in the courtroom to lay down the law in the sports world. Here's Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Well, it's not Taylor Swift, but it's a good song, too. Number one in our hearts, Scrappy Will Peterson on the uh, Johnson Auto Plaza hotlines. Will Peterson, how are you, sir? I'm great, Dan. I had a, a really fun weekend. How are you? Yeah, you're floating uh, around on a cloud still from the 
festivities on Friday night. Yeah, no, Friday was spectacular. I mean, Taylor Swift played for three and a half hours. She played 44 songs. Um, it wasn't just like a concert, Dan. It was like a Broadway show. It was a performance. Um, phenomenal time. Great group. And, uh, yeah, can't can't say enough about uh, the crowd down there at Empower Field at Mile High, 73,000 strong. And people were into it. And she didn't get off stage till. Well, after 11 o'clock, it was, it was pretty darn impressive. You know what's funny? You use that term because I was just talking to Dante before the show, and I, I held up a picture. It was actually probably from one of your, your pictures that it was her in like a – it's kind of like a swimsuit type thing or whatever, you know, and with boots on. And I said, this is just a little weird to me. You know, she's a grown woman, and I know Beyonce does the same thing or whatever. But I said, it's not a Broadway show. It's like a theater. Like, why is she wearing this outfit? It's, a, it's not being negative or anything. I'm like, it's just it's just odd to me. And I use that term. I'm like, it's not a theater. And she's just singing. But you're saying, no, it actually is, Dan. Get with the times. Correct, yes. It wasn't just a, you know, you go and the person just plays their music and then goes home. Like, this had so many moving parts on the stage and so many visual effects and so many different secret entrances for her during costume changes and, and stuff on the screen that was... 3D kind of coming at you, even though you're not wearing 3D glasses, it did feel like more of, I went to a show as opposed to a concert, if you vibe with me on that. Yeah, and tell me about the vibe. Everybody's in a good mood, everybody loves each other, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, listen, it was it was louder, Dan, than I've ever heard that stadium personally. Um, it was louder than either of the AFC championship wins against the Patriots. I was not there the night Tebow hit Demarius Thomas um, for the 80-yard touchdown against the Patriots, but I know football fans say that's the loudest that, that Mile High has ever gotten. I would be curious because we are now, what, 36 hours removed from me being there. I have slept twice, and my ears are still um, slightly ringing uh, yeah. from just how loud. And I'm not talking about her music or the people at Mile High making the acoustics too loud. I am talking about the fans screaming for three and a half hours being so loud. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it would, it, we, we had a moment where we all kind of looked at each other in my group and we said, this is, this is insane. Um, so, yeah, energy was great. Atmosphere was great. And like I said, uh, still kind of a headache, but it's worth it. Yeah. So, this is one of the things we've been talking about, you know, because we talked about it on the show as well during the week. Do you think anybody that left, any of the, let's call it 150,000 people that, Paid now. Not everybody paid a thousand bucks because that was retail stuff. But did any, you think anybody, no matter what they paid, anywhere from two hundred to ten thousand dollars per per ticket to get in the door? Do you think anybody left? And I'm just asking, saying, man, you know that was fun, but I shouldn't have done that. No, I, I don't. I honestly don't. I mean, maybe there's a rare exception, but it had so much hype in my head, and we had talked about you know all, all the anticipation leading up to it. And it was a rare moment in life where there was so much hype going in and the hype delivered and then some. Um, I walked out even more impressed than I expected to be, and my expectations were already through the through the roof. So, no, I would be very surprised um, if anyone felt that way. I mean, everything I've seen is that she delivered um, what was promised and even more. So, yeah, I, I would be shocked if... If people, you know, if you were willing to spend that kind of money, if you had that kind of money, I would be shocked if, if something from the show made you change your mind about about pulling the trigger on the tickets. And look at you, big dog, a million views on one of your videos. Yeah, the one uh, the one is going nuts. Uh, she played this song 
from her debut album in 2006. It was a surprise song. It's called Picture to Burn. And, uh, damn, that blew my uh, my Abs and Nuggets parade videos out of the water. That is a, that is officially my most viewed video on Twitter. Uh, I just looked uh, about a half hour ago. It's up to 1.1 million views, um, which is kind of crazy. It's funny. And then last night I was scrolling, you know, doing my copious amounts of show research. And it was actually just scrolling in my Facebook feed. And I don't know what this site is or whatever, but it was like OG memes or something. And it's just all of a sudden I see Will Peterson quoted like you're one of the great poets of our time. And it was like, you could go to Taylor Swift for 1100 or you could drop 38. Was that actually from our drive conversation? I don't know what it was, but it was like, or go to, go to see the Yankees for a cool 38 bucks. I'm like, Oh my God, what a big deal this guy's. He's got a million views on Twitter. He's getting, you know, posterized on uh, whatever this meme site is. Like he's uh, Mark Twain. Will Peterson, you're huge. That was from my column on Tuesday at DenverSports.com. That was uh, an old copy and paste job with, with no link to our website, by the way, which, you know, <laughs> we want people to visit our website. So if you want to use my content, great, but please, uh, please provide the people a link. Um, but no, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I guess that line stuck for whatever reason. I know the Rockies were able to beat the Yankees on Friday, Dan, um, and then they got they got beat pretty good last night in the game they were never really in. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I hope people enjoyed Rockies-Yankees as well. I think downtown was the place to be the last couple nights. Because, you know, we talked about it on the show with DMAC and KJ saw, yeah, I think they'll get about 41000 a night. And DMAC said, oh, I think they'll get forty three. And I said, I'll take the over on that all uh, all day long, and yeah, it's forty-seven, forty-eight thousand both nights. Um, how many of those were Rockies fans? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't have been sellouts. That seems low from KJ and Dmac to me. You were smart to to take the over on those. Um, I, see, I don't know because Rockies fans is such a hard thing to define for me, Dan. Like, does that mean like going and sitting in your seat and cheering every pitch and and being into the game, or does that mean? you're not rooting for the Yankees. Which one are you looking for there? Well, for, for this one, I'm because we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to part two of that question in a minute, what you're kind of going at. But as, what I'm asking you is more straightforward right now. How many there were, hey, I'm a Yankees fan, and how many do you think would traditionally identify as a Rockies fan? Uh, I would say, let's call it, let's just call it 50,000. I know it's probably a little high, but let's call that to be safe. I would say there are 20,000 Yankees fans 10,000 Rockies fans and 20,000 party deck fans. That, that would be my gut on sort of how that breaks down, I guess. Okay, so should there be, let's go, because I'm going to have this conversation um, coming up uh, with Dante and stuff coming up here a little bit later in the show. Because DMAC, it's fascinating me, man. DMAC, he's the ultimate Rockies fan, and he, he's, he'll stick up for the Rockies, essentially the organization, apparently, I guess, but he just runs down people that are Rockies fans that throw down their money and go to the the stadium, the, the, the course field. And it sounds like to me like you're almost with them. Like, should there be a test, like an entrance exam to be a Rockies fan? Like, if you can't name the, the, the shortstop, then you're not a true Rockies fan or what? I mean, they're, they're top one of the top teams in attendance every single year. Yeah, guys like DMAC and I don't know you, Will, that are like, nope, nope, I'm a baseball snob. Just because you pay and support the team doesn't mean you're a fan. Tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up, and you heard my breakdown. I said 10,000 Rockies fans and 20,000 Party Deck fans. So based on that, that would mean that two-thirds of the people who are there supporting the Rockies probably don't know who Ezekiel Tovar is. They're starting shortstop, even though he's a 
the top prospect in the organization right now. It actually looks like looks like the kid can play. He's had some moments this year. So um, I'm not the I'm not the fan police, Dan. I'm not the, I'm not going to do the boycott thing or, or tell people they're part of the problem or whatever. Um, how people spend their money is is their business. I'm not going to tell a fan how to fan. But I will say if you do go to the game and you buy $16 margaritas and you're on the party deck for, for two hours of the two and a half hour baseball game, then yeah, you kind of are part of the problem and maybe your right to complain isn't as strong as someone who does not go to games and does not line Dick Monfort's pockets with money. I I think that's the distinction to me there is you can go. I'm not going to criticize you for that. But it does mean you've sort of lost your right to be a ticked-off fan if you're doing that. Okay. So I'm just curious about, so when the Nuggets were, so there were 750,000 people down for the Nuggets parade. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of those, when the Nuggets were last in attendance, I think it was five, six years ago, they were last in the league in attendance, how many of them could name the Nuggets two guard that year? And could you? Uh, five, six years ago, I mean, what was that? Was, was that like the Ty Lawson days? Uh, a little, a little before that, maybe Wilson Chandler, Danilo Gallinari. I know they're not guards, but they were on the team. I see what you're hinting at here though. But, but also. Probably Barton or Moutier. I don't know. Yeah, it was probably Barton, right? So. Yeah, I mean, been Barton. I'm probably going a little too far back. Um, I'll, I'll say this. Denver has proven to be a great sports town when guy when mm-hmm. times are good and when times are bad. But that is more for the Broncos. That the, the Broncos are sort of the one to use. A, I, I guess I'm. I guess I'm using this right to use a James Merrillat term. The Teflon team. Um, that the, the Broncos can kind of, kind of get the, the support no matter. Well, what. how many fans right now do you think can name this the second cornerback? The second cornerback. Yep. Opposite of Patrick Sertan. How many fans at training camp? If you went up to training camp on the hill, and you went up to whatever, 10 people, how many of them do you think, if they didn't have one of the free rosters in their hand, you say, hey, who's going to be starting opposite Patrick Sertan? How many How many do you think would get it right? Pretty few because it's, I mean, obviously K1 Williams is more of the slot guy. So the second corner is, is more um, kind of obscure at this point. I mean, is it going to be the kid out of pit, Damari Mathis? I, I guess, Dan. Like, I, I think that's I, who it I, is. I but, I do this for a living, and I'm even sitting here kind of thinking it out loud with you. So exactly, you sort of pick the toughest position on the team to name there. So a starting cornerback. Uh, yeah. Well. Okay. Well, that kind of shows you how bare they they have holes on this roster. That Demari Mathis, who committed four pass interference penalties against the Chargers on Monday Night Football last year, is trending toward so, being so the starter. For Rock- yeah. So for the Rockies, you can't be a true fan unless you can name people on those starters on the roster. But for a, but you can be a Broncos fan uh, if you just go out to training camp and not know who's starting where. I mean, is it a double standard? Well, it sounds like you got the bone to pick with DMAC, not necessarily me. Well, I you too, because you're, you're, you're doing the same nature. thing. You're the Rocky snob. You're like, oh, party deck snob. It's, come on, man. They're putting their money to go support in whatever form. They got the jerseys on. They got the shirts on. They got the hats on. And they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're not these jerk... Yankees fans uh, driving around in a cab that never go to games. Like, you can't take a fan base that supports an organization that's been bad for thir- for the better part of 32 years, but they show up and support the 
through the turnstiles for 32 years and then say they're a bad fan base and they're not really fans. Like, it just doesn't compute to me. But, they, but Dan, are they supporting the baseball team? Yes. Or are they going to the best bar in downtown Denver? Like, you, I, I, did you listen to my breakdowns on the, the attendance this weekend? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not Rockies fans that are going through the turnstiles. It is professional drinkers that are going through the turnstiles, social people that are going through the turnstiles. That's who's filling that ballpark up with 50,000 people uh, the last two nights and probably this afternoon against the Yankees. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you're losing me here on these guys are fans. Like these people don't have their, their scorebook out. They're not, they're not keeping, you know, edge of their seat, keeping score, whether or not that's an E6 or whether or not uh, that's going to be a base hit. They're, they're up there slugging, slugging. Coors Lights and margaritas, like that—that's a huge difference. It's uh, not of, the only of where we are. Come on, in, it's in not, terms it's of not who's going it, into those games. Come on, there's thirty-two thousand people on average. By the way, after opening weekend or after two weeks of the season, if you go to DenverSports.com, you can see this big protest article about Rockies fans have finally had enough. Right, Dante Gomez has talked about it about how Rockies fans have finally had enough. They're putting their foot down, and as uh, as soon as the weather got nice, things have got through the roof. And I'm sorry, it's gone up to thirty two thousand, and it's not thirty two thousand frat boys getting blackout drunk every night. It's not. That's not. That's not sustainable. Come on, man. It's not that high. It's not that high. But I told you, it's two thirds. Two thirds okay. of the people are there to have a good time. To have and a good one time. One third are there for the it's baseball. Sports. So. You're supposed to be there to have a good time, dude. If the measure of if you if you could only be one of those old school old timey with a, 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 a fedora and a a placard you know, a note card in your hat and you got to keep score to be a baseball fan, well, I'm out. And that sport's dead anyway. Yeah, I, I guess I want to go back to one thing that I didn't quite get to finish my point on. Denver is a great sports town, but it's it's a great Broncos town, good and bad. You know what kind of sports town Denver is uh, when teams are good? It's a really good bandwagon town, and that's why there was seven hundred fifty thousand people at the Nuggets parade. I heard you. I heard you bring that number up, and you're saying, "Well, how many how many could have named Will Barton five years ago?" Well, I don't really care because I'm not a I'm not a bandwagon gatekeeper. And if people want to if people want to get on the Avs bandwagon last year, awesome, great. I'm not a I'm not a hockey snob. I'm not going to tell people that just because you you weren't here for the Joe Sacco, not Joe Sackick, Joe Sacco years when he was the head coach that you're not allowed to be a fan anymore. I'm not going to say that just because you didn't suffer through the Brian Shaw's years with the Nuggets, you're not allowed to be a fan anymore. Again, the Broncos will always, always, always be supported. The other three teams are great fan bases. They are, but they're even better bandwagon fan bases, and that's why you get three-quarters of a million people at the Nuggets parade. I'm the I'm the negative guy. You got Will Peterson on here calling every other fan base in town bandwagon except for the Broncos fans. Jeez, Will. Scrappy no, well. I said Scrapping. they have great core fan bases, Dan. I said <laughs> they have great core fan bases, and then there are there was a lot of bandwagoning going on, which I'm fine with. And you, I mean, you kind of made my argument for me. If the Nuggets were the last in attendance five years ago, then yeah, what 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 was that? It was kind of bandwagoning because if it was just always there, the support no matter what, then they would have never been last in attendance. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I. Uh, but what I so. That's why it's so remarkable that the Rockies do have always gotten so much support, and that's why I think it's so incredibly unfair when you know, guys like you and Dmac run down an organization, you know, a fan base that still supports at such a high level. I think it's quite remarkable, and if they were ever to get on a run, it would be way more than what we saw with the Nuggets. Um, but the Nuggets were last in attendance after. I mean, you remember how bad Will, how bad it had been with the Denver Nuggets for so long. I mean, it was embarrassing. I mean, it's absolutely embarrassing. Even Broncos fans now, 
after being a laughing stock for the last five or six years, even they've had enough with some of the no-shows and things like that. I mean, t- even Broncos fans, to a point, are fed up. I think it's going to turn around because of Sean Payton. But I think we are a little different as a, as a city. Is there some bandwagon element to it? A little bit, because they're not going to put up in perpetuity with, with garbage like, you know, Cleveland or whatever, um, like that, you know, those type of garbage, you know, performances. But we support winners and we'll even support losers up to an extent. Is that fair? Yeah, no, that's well said there. Because you're right. You made a really good point there about some of the no-shows. Like the Cardinals game this year, um, it was some of the pictures coming out of the stadium at kickoff were were truly stunning. Um, I mean, just sections and sections of empty seats at kickoff, of what you never see for a Broncos game in Empower Field at Mile High. So, yeah, I think I think you, you make a good point there that Broncos fans are still there, but they have kind of reached a breaking point. Because you remember when Hackett and Alton went to the Nuggets game and they did the whole, we're going to score a lot of points thing, and they banged the drum and the crowd went nuts and, you know, WrestleMania, because they had just traded for Russell Wilson, whatever, and it obviously went horribly wrong. And then, Dan, you remember this year, Sean Payton goes to the Nuggets game. They show him on the big screen, and DMAC takes the video, and it's like a golf clap. Because people are like, I'm not getting sucked in again, because we did that with Hackett and Alton, and they were drinking their beers and saying things that were crazy, and they, they did the exact opposite of score a lot of points. They scored, like, the least amount of points in the NFL. So Broncos fans feel feel a little gun shy now that that Sean Payton, he's up in his box. That's no standing no for him. That's a golf clap. Go show us, Sean, and then we'll give you a standing no next year if it, uh, if it all goes well. Yeah. Now, how many, just to wrap this thing up, how many, I'm just curious, how many fans do you think will, well, how many attendees do you think we'll see at Coors Field today? It's going to be hot. Oh, it's going to be near a sellout for sure. I mean, yeah, it's the New York sure. Yankees. It's a Sunday. It's a. It, you're right. It's going to be hot, but it's you know as far as I can tell, there's not a lot of clouds in the sky. People are worried about getting rained on. I I would say. I mean, how many scores hold? Uh, I'll I'll take that. I'll, I'll go sell out, Dan. Forty nine thousand or whatever the number. Is. Yeah, it's weird because we were looking it up on the drive, and it says fifty two. But you know, I think I think if any time you get over forty seven or forty eight, they call it sell out. But then they can sell more. Well, because they got those standing room only on the party deck. They got the margarita bros up there that you think don't exist. (laughs) Yeah, They exist, but here's the deal that I also want to stick up for the Monfort side. First off, everybody hates on the party deck. All the party deck is was a way for, yes, is it it money? Yes, it's about money. But also, all it is was the team said, let's give a good experience for our fans. If the fans go up there and have a good time and have a good experience – What's wrong with that? Why are, Why is Seamhead, a uh, scorekeeper guy, so offended, mortally offended by it? Yeah, I'm not offended by it, but you, you're acting like it's partially money, partially fan experience. No, it's all money, Dan, because those were empty seats that no one sat in for 98% of the games. They were an eyesore. They were way the heck up there, and they should have never been built in the first place. They shouldn't have put that third thing on. So I do give them credit for realizing the mistake uh, 15-ish years after Coors Field was built and saying, yeah, those seats suck. Let's rip them out and do something cool with them. But it's all about the almighty dollar because that's just real estate. You, know, you, you understand real estate. That's real estate that was not being utilized properly that is now the most prime real estate in the ballpark. It was a genius business move, but again, it was all about money. But why is it so vilified? What's wrong with making money? Like, like why do we want to be upset? Now, I have a problem with the McGregor Square thing. 
because they're not, you know, using that to re- they cried about never being able to compete. And then now they've just stripped that profit and, and put it in their own pockets and not back into the team. But why are we vilifying the Monforts for doing something we all agree was brilliant and enhances the fan experience? But it's like ah, the party deck. Like, so what? It's good. It's, it's good for everybody. Win-win. Well, well, we, we, vil- we vilify them, Dan, because there's a misnomer that Dick Monfort is cheap. He is not cheap. That is not true. He is in the middle of the road uh, in terms of payroll every year in the MLB. He is not a smart baseball mind, though, and refuses to hire outside help. I mean, Bill Schmidt was a business guy who's now the GM of the team. It'd be like if the Broncos made Joe Ellis back in the day start – Picking players and doing personnel decisions. No, well, Joe was on that, the business actually. side. That was, that was part, he, yeah, part of the problem with Joe Ellis. He did meddle in that, and that was part of the problem. But well, I but Joe wasn't sitting there making draft picks. We didn't True. see the war room shot like we saw this week with Bill Schmidt True. making draft picks in the, in the war room. So, I mean, that was a business person who was now totally on the other side out of their lane, and that's what Bill Schmidt is. And I think the reason to just put a bow on this, we, the reason we vilify Dick Monfort is because he refuses, refuses to bring in baseball minds. He just hires his friends, and his friends stink. His friends are not good. Jeff Breidich was not good. He made the worst, one of the worst trades in baseball history. Dan O'Dowd was not good, and now Bill Schmidt is not good. So it's the vilification of Monfort is his stubbornness and his refusal to admit he's never won a division title in 30-plus years. He needs outside help, and he's not willing to get it. Meanwhile, he's becoming a rich, rich man off things like the party deck. Well, Will, you, you brought your A game today, and uh, especially after having to recover after Friday night, I uh, I thank you for your time. You did a great job. I appreciate it, Dan. Yeah, Friday was uh, it was like a top five night of my life. I'm not going to lie. So thank you for letting me discuss it today. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, that's Will Peterson, Scrappy Will Peterson. If you want to react to him, uh, coming up next, that's your chance right now. Jury Executioner. Okay, that got really dark fast. Now back to his honor, Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station 1043, The Fan. Peterson bringing the heat. It's, it's funny. Um, do I ever get up? Sometimes I, just sometimes. I get a bad rap as being uh, negative. Denver's a fan ba- uh, bandwagon fans. I don't want to be unfair. And it, I guess it's weird. Sometimes I legitimately, I hear somebody say something. I repeat it exactly back to them and they go, damn, that's not fair. That's not what I said. I'm like, it's not? Like, what I hear, I heard Will say was, well, the problem is, outside of the Broncos, these fan bases are bandwagon, bandwagon fans. And then I repeat that back to him. He's like, I didn't say that. I said they're core fans, but bandwagon. I'm like, well, okay, I thought that's what you said. But anyway. Uh, I heard similar. Also, I do want to clear my name on the Rockies attendance thing. I was on the right side of that, not the wrong. I feel like when he pitched it. Oh, no, that's what I said. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. I think that's what you meant, but the way it came out, it made it sound like I was on the side of Rockies fans are fed up and that's why they're not going. I was on the opposite saying that's bogus. Right. It's just been bad weather and it's been a lot of weekday games. Right. Exactly. Okay. I was trying to give you credit. Good. I just want to clear it up that I was, in fact, right. Right. Like, we keep changing. My point was we keep changing the narrative. Oh, Rockies fans are standing up. They've had enough. And now it's, it's, oh, they're just all... Blackout drunk frat boys drink, drinking margaritas. Like, what? 
What are we talking about? Like, it's, you can't just, we keep changing the goalposts. Like, it's been 31 years they've been here, and they've always been one of the best teams in attendance. And even this year, they're going to lose 100 games, and they're still killing it. Like, it's amazing. So this one says, Bravo, Will Peterson. As a Denver native, that is the most sound criticism of the state of Denver sports I've heard in quite some time since maybe Sandy Clough. I appreciate you having adults on the program who will call out your bad takes, half-truths, and false narratives. It's refreshing for those of us that live in reality. Well, I appreciate your text, but... Everything that came before that, your last sentence, indicates you don't live in reality, though. See what I did there? <laughs> no, I appreciate you listening. I think the way you measure how great a Nuggets fan or Avalanche fan is by how much they spend to watch the games online because you know. All right, all right, I know. Yeah, I know. Um, so, yeah, I just this idea that, you know, D-Max, see, see what I did there with Will? Like, not even Will could... could Name the, the, the second cornerback. Right? And if you go out there, that's not how fans view teams. Like, the, the average fan doesn't do it like the diehard fan. And just because you're not a diehard fan, and by the way, we go through various stages, right? There have been times in my life, for example, my favorite team has been the Miami Hurricanes. And there have been times where I've been a historian on the Miami Hurricanes. Like, I can name every single thing about the Miami Hurricanes. And right now, I could I could maybe name two or three players, right? Like, I'm just not that big of a fan. I mean, I want them to win. I'm excited about the program, and I think they're going to turn things around, but I'm not dialed in right now. Now, when the season rolls around, I'll get a little bit more serious, and I'll learn more about the roster and things like that. I was so, going to say that about the Broncos thing, too. It's tough because they're in the middle of the offseason. Right, but so come training camp time, for example, right? Actually, let's unpack this because we got to hit the top of the hour. I, let's, let's go to the top of the hour on this note. Are the people on the Hill fans of the Denver Broncos under DMAX definition, the ones that got tickets from the team to go watch the Broncos at training camp? Are they fans or are they just looking to do something, have some fun in the sun? We'll get into that coming up next.